Okay. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here. We're at the second week of um, the new reading of the cycle, which means the story of Noah. Um, before we begin, I want to tell you what happened to me last uh, um, last Shabbat. So last Shabbat, I was on Cape Cod taking a rest. And I was feeling badly because I knew it was the yard site of Maya Gold. Maya was a teenager in our congregation who unfortunately took her own life six years ago. And I, and I was feeling bad because I knew that her mom, Elise, would usually come to services. Uh, so Ellen and I are, um, my wife Ellen and I, we're biking along, and we bike past this um, um, sandy road that you can walk far over the dunes to get to a beach where we happen to know the, that the seals like to take their rest time at, because there's a sandbar there where they all collect. I mean, it's a sight. We haven't been there in quite a few years. Hundreds of them collect on the sandbar at low tide and they all clunk close, close together and they basically rest for a few hours and make lots of noises and scuffle. And it's astonishing to see that. So we say, okay, let's go. Let's walk to see the seals. And we walk out there and it, you really have to want to do this. It is really a walk. And we get there. And then a little while later, um, Matthew uh, and Elise, Maya's parents, show up at this beach. So we cried and we hugged because that last Saturday was the anniversary of uh, her passing. And that happened. So it was, you know, those things happen sometimes. It's just astonishing. And we got to be there. So that's my, that was my, uh, story about how coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous, as they say. Wait, Rob, you knew Maya? Oh, no kidding. Yes, I knew, I knew, yes, Maya, I knew Maya very well, actually. And um, she would stay with us often when Cindy and I were together. And uh, Oh, Maya was one of my favorite people on planet Earth, and I think I was one of her favorite people, too. I'm sure you were. She but, was uh, a very, very special person yeah. who, for whom the world may have been too much. And her parents are very special people, too. Her parents are very special people, too. Yes. So, I'm glad you knew her. I okay. am, too. Um, so, I want to remember her. And I had this beautiful opportunity. The other part was that um, seven years ago, she died six years ago, seven years ago, um, we were on Cape Cod and we're, Maya was in the Bat Mitzvah class then. And uh, uh, we were at that same beach with uh, Matthew and Elise and their family. So 
it's one of those one of those moments i'm glad i was i'm glad i went to the right place yes they are elise and matthew are just very 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 special people and fortunately they're doing well they don't make any they don't pretend that it's easy at times like this their son aiden has come through it all and is doing beautifully and he's 24 25 and living his life and so the life life is going on thanks for letting me share that so let's say the blessing for um studying torah oh hold on come in i'm teaching my class now Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotav V'Tzivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah Blessed are you, source of life, who makes us holy with your mitzvot and has given us the mitzvah of um, engaging with words of Torah. Rabbi Ellen, am I spotlighted? Would you do that for me, please? Sure. Uh, spotlight for everyone. Thanks. There we go. Okay, so I was reading the story of Noah. Oh, Casey's here. Oh, how lovely. Hi, Casey. How's your baby? She's doing great. I'm actually uh, listen, I'm listening in while I change her diaper. <laughs> I hope that's okay. <laughs> uh, uh, sure, sure. If you turn your camera on, we'll just all be very distracted. So, yeah, I'm going to keep it off for the time being. Babies are more interesting than me. <laughs> I hear you. I, I oftentimes people stop me and say hi to me. Well, they say hi to Diana, and then eventually they realize I'm there. Uh, 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 by the way, Casey is Deborah's daughter. Diana's her granddaughter. Deborah Berger. So if you didn't know that connection, we're all here. Yay. Thank you. Thanks for introducing us. Oh, it's so sweet. Okay. So the story is Noah. I was reading the story. And uh, even though it's, um, you know, this a good story to tell the children about all the animals and everything, it's actually a horrific story, isn't it? I mean, everything gets wiped out except for these lone survivors and they get wiped out because of that humans have polluted the entire planet with their violence and greed. And uh, so, of course, my first impulse is to um, think about the way humanity is uh, recapitulating that story right now. Um, horrifically, we actually we actually may, because of our greed and violence, create cataclysmic death and destruction. And who knows who will be saved or how. And I don't want to talk about that today. <laughs> I wanted to mention it, but I thought, no, nah, I don't want to spend an hour talking about that today. I don't have the answers. And, uh, but I do want to make the connection. So that was the first thing I thought about. And then I decided to head off in a much more um, 
uh, interpretive and spiritual direction with you today. I was reading Roberta Wall's Torah commentary. And you know Roberta, she comes to class sometimes from North Carolina and she used to live here. And Roberta's been writing a, a blog, I'll put a plug in for it, all, all, all year long. She's got a full cycle of Torah readings and she calls it Torah at the Intersection. So I read what she writes each week. And she sent me to this book that I refer to very often, right? My favorite book of Hasidic commentaries, The Language of Truth, the Torah commentary of the Sfat Emet, whose name was Rabbi Yehuda Leib Alter of Ger, uh, who taught in Warsaw. Uh, he died in 1905. And uh, I'll say again, this collection was edited and translated and explicated by Rabbi Arthur Green, my teacher. So I, wanted, I always want to give credit. Um, so I'm giving credit to Roberta, who sent me to Art Green, who sent me to the Spot Emmet, right? So you can see the chain of transmission. But now it's going to come out in my words and in your responses to my words. So we're going to take this beautiful commentary of uh, Svat Emmet and see where it takes us today. So I'm going to display it and describe it as we go. Hey, I had an idea. Um, I thought I'd share it with you in Hebrew first. Um, and uh, let's see, make it a little bigger, put this down here. Um, and then I will also share it with you in English, but there's something about, oh, let's see, hold on. Uh, I'm just learning how to, Oh, there we go. Okay, there, that's better. Then I can open up. Let's see, can I do a new share at the same time and switch between them? I think so. It just worked. Now we're seeing the English. Are you seeing the Hebrew now? No, just the English. Okay, then I wanna get rid of the English because I wanna show you the Hebrew. So let me just do that one more time, I'm learning. There we go. Okay. So here's the Sfat Emet, as he's known. And again, I'll explain this. Um, he's known as the Sfat Emet, even though he's also known as the Alter Rebbe, or the Gera Rebbe, or Rebbe Yehuda Leib Alter. Uh, but his book was called Sfat Emet, his book of commentaries, Sfat Emet, which means the language of truth. And so um, in the book-loving Jewish culture, book-loving, book-worshipping Jewish culture, uh, authors got known by the names of their works. And that's why he's referred to as the Svarim. So here he is commenting on the very first line of the Parsha. Ele toldot Noach. Noach ish tzaddik. These are the generations of Noah. 
Noah was a tzaddik, a righteous man. Now, if you look at the entire verse, it says, Noah was a righteous and wholehearted man in his generation. But what, um, where we're going with this is not towards the flood or even towards the context, particularly of the story, but to wordplay that's going to take us very deep into this story, in, into, um, not the story, into our own experience. In um, the Tanakh, in the book of Genesis, it, uh, it says, Ele toldot Noach. Now, toldot means um, offspring. In other words, um, progeny. That's what toldot means. The progeny of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his age, and Noah walked with God. Okay. So now, what I want you to see is Rashi commenting on that, because to know where the Sfadamin is going, you have to know what Rashi says. I don't know. Can you see? Um, uh, I'm going to move this a little bit. Can you see where my pointer is, everybody? Yes. Okay. Um, Ayla told it. Noah. Ah, here it is. Since the text mentions him, it sings his praise. In accordance with what is said, the mention of the righteous shall be for a blessing. But, davar acher, okay? Uh, uh, I'm introducing you to Jewish commenting language. Davar acher means another explanation. And one of the beauties of Jewish Torah commentary is that they will a commentator will provide more than one explanation, which by definition um, um, means that there are more than, that every commentator accepts that there's more than one interpretation. But another explanation is, since after stating these are the progeny of Noah, it does not at once mention the names of his children. No, it doesn't. Uh, it says, Ela told Noah, ish tzaddik. Noah was a righteous man. And then it says Noah had three sons. Why doesn't it say these are the progeny of Noah, three sons? And so, but declares that he was a righteous man, scripture thereby teaches you that the real progeny of righteous people are their good deeds. So the real progeny are their good deeds, their ma'asim tovim. Okay, so now 
the Sfat Emet is going to go on a journey with that. And I'll share the English and comment about it as we go. There we go. Okay. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. The Holy Zohar says that Noah, which means rest, refers to the Sabbath. Okay, I don't want to rush through this either. Noah, the name Noah, and the Hebrew word menucha. Menucha is rest. Noah is the root for rest or comfort. Noah's name means rest or comfort. Perhaps Noah isn't a person in this case, but is a quality. So again, forgive me for jumping around, but uh, I'm going to share the text again of the Torah. I can close that, make that simpler. Because in the previous chapter, when Noah is born, his father Lamech begot a son, and he named him Noah, saying, this one will provide us relief from our work and from the toil of our hand out of the very soil which the Lord placed under a curse. And so Noah is named comfort, relief, restoration, rest. And then it says, um, now God regrets that God made human beings and God's heart was saddened. And God said, I will blot out from the earth the men whom I created, uh, for I regret that I made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. And there's all kinds of wordplay in here because can both mean to comfort or to regret. And so Noah's name is here filled with regret, Noah, and Noah here finds favor, chen. And if you can see, Noah and chen are simply each, those two letters reversed. So Noah, Noah, which means comfort, also has the word chen, which means grace. In, uh, so there's all kinds of wordplay going on here, which means that Noah's name is very significant. And in the significance, the Sfad Emmet is going to say that Noah, not as a personage, but as a quality, is the quality of rest, of um, comfort, 
that is associated with Shabbat. Okay, back to Svadamit's commentary. The Holy Zohar says that Noah, which means rest, refers to the Sabbath. Rashi, whom we just saw, comments on this verse that the true generations of the righteous are commandments and good deeds. All creatures have to bring forth generations. I'm just going to, rather than keeping switching screens, I'll just share the Hebrew with you uh, orally. Um, I am opening to the page. All creatures are designed to bring forth new generations, right? We generate, we are generative. That's what creatures are. And this means that the blessed God placed a holy point within all creation. And we're getting into Jewish mystical language, so I'm going to go slowly. A nikudak dosha, which literally translates as a holy point, is understood, and again, forgive me if this is very familiar to you, a point is, a nikuda, a point, has no volume or area, but it exists. So calling it a point is very uh, pointed, actually, because it's referring to a connection between the physical which has dimensionality and the spiritual realm, the, cre- the, realm that, the realm out of which the physical emerges, there's a point, we can identify that point, but we can't measure it, nor does it have an actual location, right? It's, a, it's also known as um, a, Nikudak dosha, a holy point. It's known as Nikudak nimit, an interior point uh, that's within each person where our soul connects us with the source. That doesn't mean it's tiny. It means it has no measurement, but it exists, right? It's trying to use language to convey um, this astonishing phenomenon that we come out, we emerge into physicality from where? I mean, there's a baby here. Diana, the baby is here. It's like, where did Diana come from? Right? Of course, you know, yes, yeah, sperm and an egg, da-da-da-da. And then this whole incredible thing happens. There's a being encoded in that. But does that explain this new being? It can't. It's not sufficient to understand the biology to fully grasp what a new being is. And it's like, ah. so we, we reach beyond the physical, we reach beyond language even to try to, try to, try to wrap our consciousness around this, this miracle. <laughs> 
And um, so that's what the Nikudak Dosha is. And what uh, the Zohar says, and what the Sfat Emmet is saying, is that all creatures have this generative source in them. Every single created thing has, it has that capacity to be a channel of further creation. God placed a holy point within all of creation. All creatures, but especially humans, are charged with broadening this point until its energy, koach, force, spreads out over all the earth. So he is now focusing on the human. All creatures have this. All of us are, are, all living things are invariably generative. It's part of our nature to reproduce, to, right? But human beings have a particular conscious um, uh, task of bringing that point. Let's see, Arthur said broadening the point. Um, Yes, that's a good translation. So that So imagine a point that has no volume or mass or area. And our job is actually to broaden that point so that it becomes manifest. That's our task as humans. This mysterious joining of the potential the, with the actual, this manifesting of spiritual energy that we know we possess into the world until its force spreads out over all the earth. Now, what is this force? Remember, the progeny of the righteous are good deeds. So we're talking about this point, our task as human generators is to figure out how to allow it to broaden and spread so that Good acts of loving kindness, masim tovim, spread over and outward from our inner point. But it's not our inner point. That point in here is in all creation. It's the point that dwells within us that gives us life, right? So we can't own it. That's, that's, that's the wrong language. And that's why he then says, this is the process of generation. Achki elu hatoldot hemrak al The ability to do this can only take place through a classic um, Jewish spiritual concept called bitul or bitul, if you're a Yiddish speaker, which he's translating as self-negation. Okay, every spiritual path knows this. Self-negation means the, um, the dismantling of the ego, right? The I did this part of us. I'm going to say again that we humans are an interesting Interesting, we have an interesting and paradoxical path because 
when we're little, when we're growing up, our task is actually to find out what we can do, right? It's glorious to watch children master new skills, get a sense of mastery, understand they can be causative agents, uh, figure out how to manipulate the world. This is what we do. And then, and that's good. Look what I did. We have to build that, have to build a strong ego so that uh, we can function in the world. But then there's a whole other level of human development beyond the mastery required in early life. And that is we then master, work on mastering, not being the master, but understanding that now that we can do it, who's been doing it all along? Is it us or is it a power that's been blessed within us that we manifest? As Joan says, so we have to disappear so that God can show up. Yes, we are now all creative artists like Joan will know that at some point you have to ask, where does inspiration arise? And how do we keep the wellsprings of creativity flowing? We call them wellsprings of creativity. That seems to say out loud that we are the conduit and not the source. So, Bittel, human self-negation, which sounds so bad in English um, uh, to me, means, oh, we lose ourselves in our work. That's beautiful. That's right. Thank you, Joan. We need to lose ourselves in our work of spreading, of being generate, generating righteous deeds and deeds of love and goodness into the world. Each person has to engage in self-negation before the creator. We need to know that it is not within our power to generate anything. It is only by the power of God that there is a place for us. So as we work on developing our will, getting a sense of what we want to accomplish and then willing ourselves towards it, we then, once we've gotten good at that, and I would say that many of us have not been given the opportunity to be empowered in that way. Many human beings are never given the opportunity to manifest their will in a way where they feel some sense of control or mastery over their environment. And so that development step is crucial. But if we've been blessed with feeling like we are good agents, have good agency in our lives, then there's the next step, which is to say, oh, but who is this aliveness I am? As I like to sing every single service. Who is this aliveness I am? And we need to know that it is not within our power to generate anything. 
It's only by the power of the creator. And that's what he uses in Hebrew, habore, where it says God here, we're using creator all the time, that there is a place for us. Only in knowing this can we bring about such generation. That is why scripture says, these are the generations of Noah. Now, listen to this word play. Noah is no longer a person. The word Noah means rest and self-composure. The Hebrew word that art is translating here is yeshuv da'at. can also mean equanimity. Set, it literally means having a settled consciousness. Okay? It means all those things that all spiritual seekers have, whatever the name is for it in the system you've been studying it. In Hebrew, it's called Yishuv Da'at, a settled awareness, self-composure. I like settled awareness. I like that. So, what, are the, what can a restful and settled awareness generate? Where everything, the word Noah means rest and self-composure, where everything returns to its source. It is the one who understands that he has no life on his own who brings forth generation. And here's the paradox. The Svadimit knows it. Even though rest and self-composure seem to be the very opposite of generation, they allow it to be. I'm going to come back to the text in a minute. The paradox we experience is that our creative energy depends on our ability to allow ourselves to rest and let our minds settle. If we are constantly doing the labor of the week, we lose touch with our inner point, the wellspring that pours through us, that gives us generativity. All living creatures have been given this capacity. Human beings need to practice restoring our connection to it. So Noah no longer refers to Noah. In this spiritual uh, kind of um, uh, uh, poetic take on it, Ela told that Noah means this is the generativity produced by one who rests and lets their awareness settle. Noah ish tzaddik. Noah, rest allows us to become righteous. And um, yes, Joan said, we commune with the creative force itself when we go into the artistic process. Okay, so we are restored by rest on Shabbat. So once again, as you've heard me teach, Shabbat 
is a day of the week, but it's also a consciousness. It's unitive consciousness. It's the consciousness that we are not separate from the creator. It's the consciousness where we, the Hebrew word is devekut, where we feel ourselves attached to the source. When we work and work, we, we um, get lost in the illusion that we are making it happen. In so doing, we run dry. If we are able to cultivate the quality of Noah, of restful, settled awareness, we, and we practice that, then we become conduits of holy creativity. Naomi said, this is very interesting because there is nap, a nap movement, napping as resistance to capitalism and grind culture. This teaching is ancient and something humans of all time need to keep learning. Yeah, is that something? I mean, given that we now live in a world which is 24 seven, all of us remember, even if we were Jewish, it was, it was always nice for me to wander around on Sunday morning. When I used to get up early, uh, I remember in college on Sunday morning, early probably meant like 9 a.m. Um, at that point, because no one was on campus. Everybody was like sleeping it off. And I would just wander around. It, and of course, even driving, knowing when you could drive, when there wouldn't be cars in the road, was a beautiful thing. And yet, in my experience these days, those uh, pauses don't exist anymore, except maybe on Christmas morning. It, you know, um, so Deborah said, I wrote a song to the melody of Hobo's Lullaby. Go to sleep, you weary ego. Let your thoughts drift slowly by. Soon you'll hear a sacred calling. That's the ego's lullaby. You wrote that, Deborah? Oh, so wonderful. That says it all. Uh, Naomi said, resistance to the belief that we are only as valuable as our, as our labor, our product. That's right. All of this. Yes, thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Naomi. All of this is the teaching embedded in the um, story of creation where it says, and on the seventh day, God completed God's labor. And the commentators asked, wait, I thought God rested on the seventh day. God's still working on the seventh day. And the comment is no. The creator has to step back from the creation, breathe, appreciate, Renew, it says, Uvayom on the seventh day, Shabbat Vayinafash, God 
was rested and God's spirit was restored, inafash. So they say that the labor is not completed, completed, unless we have that rhythm of exhalation and inhalation. Unless the rhythm of create, creative life is maintained. There, Ellen has written, Vayina Fash, Uvayom Hashvi'i Shavat Vayina Fash. Nefesh is the Hebrew word for self or soul or life force. God and you see Ellen's custom of writing God with an exclamation point so that even in English, we're not thinking that it's like a man on a chair. So God ensouled God's self. God restored God's soul. So that explains why it says, you know, this strange comment that God was still working on the seventh day. Well, yes and no. God was completing the work by doing what's necessary to be able to continue the work. It's beautiful, isn't it? So let's go on. The Svadhamit continues the teaching in a beautiful way. The Holy Zohar comments that the verse God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. By Varech Elohim at Yom Hashvi'i. That also isn't the same. God rested on, by Hulu Hash, the heaven and earth were completed and all that was in them. And God completed on the seventh day all the work that had been done. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And the Zohar says that refers to the manna. Now let's remember the manna. It falls six days a week in the wilderness, but not on Shabbat. If the, the people would go out of their tents on Shabbat, there'd be no manna on the ground. That's why they were permitted to collect a double portion on Friday so that they'd have enough for Saturday and they wouldn't have to go collecting. That's all in the Torah story about manna. But the Zohar makes another paradoxical comment. The Zohar asks, since no manna was to be found on the seventh day, what was its blessing? Why is the manna a blessing? I, I mean, why, why does this blessing refer to manna? It's not there on the seventh day. And the Zohar answers that all blessings above and below depend upon this day, this Shabbat day. They depend not on the spreading forth, but on the negation before God. This is the source of all generation. Okay, what is, what is this Fatimid saying? This Fatimid saying that if there wasn't a day when the manna didn't fall, it couldn't fall the other days. It wouldn't be present. If the manna is the creativity that flows from that hidden point, then Shabbat is essential 
for it to continue to flow. Again, this is, the Zohar is always talking about our inner processes, not about external events. We must have a day when our minds are settled, when our consciousness spreads out, when we give up the illusion of being in charge and remember, ask the question, who is this aliveness I am? Who is this aliveness I am? I'm not separate at all. I am somehow one of countless points of creative flow and they manifest through me. If we don't do this, we become a dry spring. So we have it. So this word of negating ourselves again gets tricky in English. I like this. I'm going back to go to sleep, you weary ego. Let your thoughts drift slowly by. Soon you'll hear a sacred calling. That's the ego's lullaby. Did you make up more verses to that, Deborah? Okay. I'm going to ask you to unmute. Yes. Please. Oh, you know, um, I don't know if I remember them all right now, but oh. I'll, I'll send them to you. Okay. Well, the chorus says it all. Thank you. <laughs> so listen, thus Shabbat gives blessing to all the days of the week. It's the blessed Shabbat. Since it is through Shabbat that all the days are negated in their source. And what is that in Hebrew? Oh, excuse me, wrong page. Shabbat noten bracha lechol yomotachol. Shabbat gives blessing to all the days of the week. Al yedei shebeshabbat kol habruim mitbatlin l'shoresha. Because on Shabbat, all of us creatures give ourselves over to our root shoresh, our shoresh, our our root, our taproot. Which is, of course, the glory of the Holy Presence. Now, what art says is always in italics. Art Green, the, the editor and translator. Bitul, self-negation, is the hardest thing the Svaremet demands of us, but perhaps the only thing that really counts. It is a self-negation that is in no way negative, but merely realistic. Bitul does not come about from moaning over our human inadequacies, nor from burdening ourselves with overwhelming guilt. It's not, oh, I'm such a nothing. 
I wish I didn't exist. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not, that's not it at all. Instead, as the author shows us here, it comes from a place of inner rest and peace. The path to self-transcendence begins with self-acceptance. True surrender of self can be undertaken only by one who is at peace. And I might add, who is at peace and who is willing to trust inspiration. Who's willing to trust that if we give up control, there's an inexhaustible source just waiting to start pouring through us. I hope you liked that teaching. I loved it. So what does it have to do with Noah? Well, I don't know. But that's how the Jewish spiritual teachings go. Ayla told that. No, do you want to say something about that, Gail? I'd love to hear connections. I wrote a chat comment before that you didn't see, but um, I think I, my own reading of Noah is that he's talking about the whole story in the Ark, which is a cradle. It's what like what Moses was in. And it's also a box built like a coffin, okay, with no steering. And that it's the state of being, it's a deep meditation is what I'm saying. It's a state of deep meditation. And it's where mindfulness meditation practice is supposed to end up taking us, where we feel at rest in this place without words, where we're no longer striving, where the ego has finally shut up, okay. And we have returned to the presence and very aware of our, that, that we're totally dependent, that all of life is totally dependent on this source. You know, we're on the, in the story, we're on the primordial sea, completely helpless. And we brought all of life onto the ark with us, you know, so all of it. And that's to, to me, so to me, it's, it's the going to Shabbat, I follow the reasoning, but it feels like more of a stretch. The straight experience of what meditation, deep meditation practice gets you to is they all knew that. I mean, the people who certainly were right, writing this stuff knew, knew these practices, basically. Um, that's where I go. Uh, Gail, that's beautiful. I don't think Shabbat's a stretch because Noah's name means rest. Yes. Yeah, I don't mean it that way, but I mean, as you, but it's a little, it's, it takes several steps. And all I'm saying is, to me, the, the story itself is so clearly about, it's a womb-like return. It, it's return to the source. I keep doing this because he's cradled in, in this box, just as Moses. It's the same word as used for Noah's. Moses is cradled, you know? And there's a reason to do that. Uh, by so, the way, Gail, either you didn't press send or something because I didn't see your comment. I may not have. It's possible. I'm glad you spoke up. Isn't that, a beautiful, isn't that a beautiful explanation, everybody? That's just great. I want to say one more thing, because my, my own practice in recent past last couple of months has been basically just to go into silence, following my breath, and letting go. And it is such a reprieve from the news, the sense of world disaster, you know, that just is everywhere. Okay, and, and gives me at least more capacity to come back out, exactly what you were describing with, with Shabbat. 
and re-ensouling, re God re being re-ensouled. So. That's right. That's right. Thank you. And uh, that's why I was yearning, I was longing to go to the beach. Because for me, sitting, sit, I'm not too good at sitting still, but when I'm at the shore, especially where there's tides and waves, I can just sit and watch. And I watch the sandbar appear. And I, and I just sit and I sit and I watch and I listen. I guess that's why people like ocean sounds on their um, peaceful tapes so much. Um, and it's a way of, sh it, and in the most unusual thing, I, I would open my computer every day because usually when I'm on vacation, I keep up with my emails because otherwise I'll be so distressed when I get back. But didn't even do that. I just needed a total pause. Joan and then Abigail. Yes, well, it struck me um, that, you know, I, I've, I've come to use yoga as a daily practice, which is a lifelong goal. And then in the last year or so, I, I accomplished it. Um, and it seems to me that mindfulness in the yoga practice is mindlessness because the concept is to allow everything to keep flowing. So you're the the analogy to Moses floating on the river is very apt because that's the practice, the Zen practice is to allow everything to just be, allow it to float, allow yourself to float by letting things go, not grasping or attaching to anything. And I, I love the image of that. Well, it, it's kind of odd to call it a coffin, but the, the box that Moses was in, but it, it, it might be very apt because that connects us to that moment when we've let go of life too. And we're just a quintessential piece of the universe. Nicely put, nicely put. Yes, I think the difference between the word teva, which is used for Moses's basket and for the ark, is that it's not a boat. It doesn't have a rudder. And that's the key here in understanding that choice of word. They're not navigating the sea. They are going with the flow. <laughs> Abigail? Uh, what Gail said was got me to think about when we're in the womb. We're not doing anything but we're growing and developing. So much is happening, but we're not doing. We're just in this wonderful state of waters. It's very much like the ark. Nicely said. Yes, this very confined space that is also the place where life is gestating. <sighs> and that, that harkens back to Toldot. Yes, to generations. When we're, we're, you know, we're generating, we're gestating for 40 weeks, God willing. <laughs> That's right. 40 days and 40 nights, 40, 40 uh, weeks. Station. You know, uh, generativity. Yes, beautiful, beautiful. So as a takeaway for today, combining Gail and, and Joan and Abigail's observations with the Svat Emmet, 
let's just add in when we think of Noah to think of what his Hebrew name means. And that for us to be progenitors of life, the way Noah protects all life and then um, restores it. Noah is the quality of rest, um, um, stillness of mind, and comfort that the spiritual background of the name are calling us to um, practice um, while we float our way along through life here. Thanks, everybody.